for those who are listening outside these walls and for those who are here today. You're listening to the services of the Broomfield Baptist Church. This is the pastor bringing the Sunday morning message entitled, The Right Thing, The Right Way, For the Right Reason. The Right Thing, The Right Way, For the Right Reason. Join me, if you would, and you'll find our passage of study in the Gospel according to the Apostle Matthew in chapter number 6. Matthew chapter number 6. I would like to take the time to read the first four verses of this passage, but all the while keeping in mind the surrounding context. This is what has been termed or called the Sermon on the Mount. We began these studies some weeks, really some months ago, looking at the Beatitudes, the introductory statements that Jesus made in this Sermon on the Mount. He challenged his disciples. So what these words represent is Jesus' teaching as they came to him and he sat on the hillside and taught them, who? Those he had called. Those who had decided already, we are following Jesus. He invited them and said, follow me. Other places we read that it said, follow me and I will make you to become fishers of men. So this message on that hillside that day, as these gathered at the feet of Jesus will help them begin their walk, their path in following Christ to do just that, to become fishers of men. Everything in this message has been leading up to helping them become fishers of men. He gives them the recipe or the blueprint, as I called it, for the blessed life, how to build the blessed life in Christ. And as you become poor in spirit and begin to mourn over sin, you realize you're bankrupt before God. As you uh, strive to be a peacemaker, read those Beatitudes all all the way down the list. You will be conforming to the image of Christ all the way. But by the time you get through the the introduction that Jesus gave on that hillside that day, you'll find out that there are some things that as you try to live for the Lord, you can expect some kickback from the darkness As you're walking in the light, you can expect the darkness to not be comfortable around the light that you are endeavoring to walk in. And Jesus encourages his disciples to not become discouraged when darkness seems to prevail around them. And yea, even persecution comes to their own life for having made this path and said, I'm going to walk after the Savior. He says, you can rejoice because there's someone That is taking it all in. Rejoice and be exceeding glad. Great is your reward. Now on the hills of that. He encouraged them. In his first major uh, movement. Of this message. To be salt and light. You can read those verses in chapter 5. Verses 13 and following. And after challenging them. To be salt and light. He then goes into an exposition. Of the Old Testament law. In Jesus' day, the Bible that folks would have been carrying and sitting on the hillside that day with, with, with perhaps would have been a scroll of the Old Testament and books of the Old Testament. And he confronts some errors that were prevalent in his day about following the Old Testament and the works. And he contrasts the pathway of a true disciple with that of a Pharisee or a scribe. Because the whole heart of the matter is the matter of the heart to Christ. 
And he is helping his disciples see that it is the inside that God's concerned about, not the outside as much. Now, you still need to take care of the outside. I hope that you go back, you know, sometime before you came here today. It would be kind to your neighbors. But you understand, God sees the heart. And he sees the inside. So while we might have all the T's crossed and all of the I's dotted, on the outside, we can comb our hair right, we can wear the right thing that looks spiritual, we can make ourselves look spiritual, but if our heart is far from God, we've missed the whole point of why God gave the law to Israel to begin with. And so they had become religious in their mechanisms, the Pharisees had, uh, taking every minutia of what the scribes had imposed upon God's teaching and the Torah of the Old Testament, and saying, if you're going to be spiritual, you must walk in these things. Jesus said, if you're going to see the kingdom of heaven, your righteousness must exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees. Now, that's a daunting thing to think, because if we think of someone who would be the cream of the crop of society, someone who would be uh, one that we would want to emulate and, and do the right thing and follow in their path, it would be a Pharisee, it would be a scribe, someone who holds so stringently to these religious principles and has everything right in order. We would want to emulate that. And Jesus says, you've got to do better than them. It has to exceed even the very best that you can think of. There's no way you'll make that without the help of the Spirit of God transforming the inside. And he goes through six key points of the law beginning with murder and moving through adultery and then dealing with divorce and then how we handle our promises, not only the, the things that happen, the passions that we have as his followers, but the promises that we make not only to other people but to God and then the things that we do to help others. Now, through that, we have just given a synopsis of the message of this so-called Sermon on the Mount up to this point. Now we enter into a second major movement. And Jesus now transitions from those six elements of the law that he was dealing with into chapter 6 where he's going to get a little more personal as it goes along. So you found your place in Matthew and chapter number 6. Look with me at verse number 1. Continuing his message, Jesus, calling to his disciples, says to them, pay very close attention to the singular and the plural that is, the Y's and the T's. Thank you, Brother Jeff, for my card the other day. It was all plural. It was you. Uh, that's an inside joke. If you want to know the answer to it, come talk to me afterwards. He gave me a card and pointed out that all the U's were plural because of the Y. So uh, here we go in, in the text of our scripture today, looking at the singular and the plural for the pronouns. Matthew chapter number 6, verse number 1, Jesus telling his disciples, Take heed. He's just told them about the law. Now he says, take heed, beware, take heed that ye do not your alms before men. Otherwise, to be seen of them, otherwise, ye have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. Therefore, when thou doest thine alms. Do not sound a trumpet before thee as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may have glory of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But when thou doest alms, let not thy left hand know what thy right hand doeth, 
that thine alms may be in secret, and thy father, which seeth in secret himself, shall reward thee openly. Father, I pray that you'll help us to get a glimpse of what's in your word. We can read these passages. I know I have read these verses many times. And uh, even times where I've not read them very quickly, Lord, I've, I've taken my time through the passage. But still, as I approach this, I'm humbled by these words of my Savior. Because it calls me into check for everything I'm doing for you, Lord. This is such a convicting passage to me in so many ways. And Father, right now, I want to forgive you before the church family and before everyone here and publicly abroad. I want to ask for your forgiveness, Lord. Forgive me for those times when I've been in such a rush. For those times when I would have never admitted this at the time, but looking back on it, Lord, my actions spoke loud words and I did receive more applause from people around me that I was trying to help than from you. Lord, make me a servant like you. I need that heart. I can do everything right outside. But Lord, if I go too fast, if I don't slow down enough to take in what you're doing around me, then I'm going to miss your plan altogether. Father, conform me to the image of Christ. May the old man who is crucified in his nature wane. And may the image of Christ through me in his glory wax bold and strong. And may others see my light and the light of our church family so that we might make a difference in their life for hope. Lord, it's not just about meeting the outside needs as much as it is getting to the heart you're concerned about my heart, but you're also concerned about the heart of those whom you would lead me to help. May this passage transform us as our mind is renewed by the Holy Spirit of God. And I'll thank you for what you accomplish. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Take heed. This was a wonderful passage to study and to really sink my spiritual teeth in, so to speak. And Matthew 6, as we mentioned, begins this new section in his message, and he's challenging his disciples to beware of some things. He would not have said these words if it weren't a danger, not only for them, but for you and I here today. And let none of us come to these words and read them and think, all right, I've got that one down. If you do, then I'll probably join you pretty soon, and we'll just have some time together where we think through some things. But if you'll be honest with yourself, I think you'll read these verses like I did and not just breeze over them and think, okay, I've nailed that every time I've done it. There's probably a time or two at least that you'll look back on what you've done and how you've helped others. And maybe, just maybe, you missed the mark. And God had more that he was going to do and more that he would have shown you. But you received your reward here. And sadly, that's as far as it will go. These words encourage us to do the right thing. Oh, but not just to do the right thing, because is not helping others the right thing to do? We take an oath as trailmen, and we promise that we're going to treat others as we want to be treated. 
that's based off of the golden rule, and so we want to treat others as we would want to be treated. And so we want to do good to them. If we were hurting, and if we were in a position, a genuine position, in need of assistance, in need of help, then we would desire someone to come and help us in that scenario so that we don't have to see things get even worse. But as we do that, this is where the rubber meets the road. We not only endeavor to do the right thing, that's kind of the easy part to figure out. We want to do it in the right way. Well, the right way for us today, if you believe that Jesus Christ loved the church and gave himself for it, if you uh, look at the church as blood bought by Jesus Christ and as being God's mode of operation, his modus operandi, if you will, for reaching the world today, if you study the book of Acts and see how the gospel, the good news of what Jesus did, went to the ends of the earth and all of the known world in that day heard the word of God, then you, like me, will approach this passage and say, I know the right way. The right way to be is to be a good steward of what he's given me, and I manage that, and I put it in a place where it can be used of God uh, to be multiplied by him, and I put it with other of God's people who are of like faith and like mind, and we band together, and God takes our little bit, and he makes it much and may I submit to you, I believe that the best that you can do for the Lord with what he's given you and blessed you with is through the local church today. Whether that's here in Broomfield or another local church in another community where God has uh, had you for that season of your life, that is where you're going to do the best and the most. I'm convinced of it. Sure, we need orphanages. We need hospitals. By the way, many of our hospitals today were started by churches. And now many of them run like machines and they run like businesses. And so, but don't forget, if you look at many of the hospitals along Denver, it's going to have a saint in the name or it's going to have uh, some kind of church affiliation, whether it's Adventist. Uh, I haven't seen any Baptist hospitals around here yet. We did have one in Florida and it was the best hospital in Pensacola. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not joking. They actually had reviews written and and the hospitals were looking to them around the country for how to operate. Now, that doesn't mean they were all Baptists that were there. It doesn't mean that everyone who's at St. Anthony's is Catholic or Lutheran. It doesn't matter. It, it, it doesn't mean that. So you understand what I mean. But why do we have these institutions? Because of a desire to help. We need hospitals. We need orphanages. We need places where people can get care. And in Colorado and in the Denver area and the Mile High City, may I submit to you, we need more places where people can find recovery when life crashes on them because of decisions they've made to follow their lust. And then they find out the pleasure of sin is only a season. And now they're left at the end of their rope and wondering if that they're, they're at the end of their life. They need help. And so I am for reforming institutions and Reformers Unanimous or, or any kind of helps programs to help people get where they need to be back on track for God. But I say it again, the best and where you will do the most good, I believe and I'm convinced, is when you work in and through your local church. That's where it ought to begin. That's where we as disciples will make the most difference for the Lord Jesus Christ because they'll get into this place that's the hospital of the soul and when we can meet the spiritual need, Jesus promised in this same message that if we will seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then we don't have to worry about all the other things because all these things shall be added. 
And so we keep treating symptoms and we keep going after the, 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 the things that we see prevailing around us and we're not getting to the root issue. We're not getting to the heart of the matter. We're not getting to the thing that God sees that is the canker and the sin and the disease of mankind. We're not speaking to that. We're dealing with symptoms. The way that we're going to deal with the root cause is by getting people face-to-face with the Bible and face-to-face with Jesus Christ, who is the answer. And He then comes along and helps and provides. And so you'll do the most good. So we want to do the right thing. We want to help people. We want to do it in the right way, in the right manner. And I believe you should channel all of that as you can, as God has blessed you and as you purpose in your heart through your local church to reach the ends of the earth, whether it's through missions or local outreach and things that we do here to help others and bear one another's burdens. But we also want to do it not only the right thing in the right way, but this is the heart of Jesus' message here. We must do these things for the right reasons. It's the reason that God sees. It's the motivation behind what we're doing. In the judgment seat of Christ, when his disciples stand before him and all their life is is judged and brought before him for a judgment of reward, not a judgment of punishment, I believe there will be much wood, there will be much hay, and there will be much stubble. Yes, there's some even in my own life that will have to go through the fire, and I wonder, will there be some silver left? Will there be some gold? Will there be some precious stones that make it through the fire purged and purified for the better in light of old wood, hay, and stubble? We can build great works with our hands and people can observe that and say, wow, look at what they're doing for God. And I'm not saying that everyone who is doing large works and doing these things, that they're doing it for the wrong reasons. We may find out differently, but we're not the judge of that. He is. And he will reveal by the fire all the motives. Whether it was, Lord, Lord, have we not, Matthew 7, same message. Have we not cast out demons in thy name? Have we not done many wonderful works in thy name? Built magnificent things in thy name? And Jesus himself will utter the words, depart from me, ye that work iniquity to iniquity means to twist and so they've twisted things and they've gotten the cart before the horse they've gotten things out of perspective they stopped somewhere along the line doing it for the right reason maybe they were never doing it for the right reason to begin with i don't know these are telling words and jesus is encouraging us beware take heed Watch yourself. If you're going to follow Jesus and be on this path, take heed. Because autopilot kicks in very easily, doesn't it? Especially on Sunday mornings when we get to go through the motions and, okay, I've got to go to church and everything is, and it just all falls in line because we've done it so many Sundays. And we just do it. Well, have we thought about while we're doing it? Did we pray before we got here? Are we prayed up when we entered the building? Are we walking in the Spirit? Are we emptied of self? Are we cleansed of sin? Are we as close to Jesus as we can be? Or are we doing it because time is pressing and Sunday's upon us? Take heed. 
Now, as we look at this, my aim is to challenge God's people. Yes, that's you. I'll be kind, I promise, because as I'm challenging you, I'm also challenging myself. I aim to challenge you to find areas. With the help of the Holy Spirit, find at least an area. One, if you can give me just one area where you would admit, not out loud, we're not going to embarrass anybody, but just between you and God in your mind, just admit, I fell short there. I did not do it for the right reason. I might have done the right thing. I might have even done it the right way. But I missed the reason. If you can even find one area there. Not only do I want to challenge you to really look at your heart and your life and consider that, I also want to help you today, if you'll let me, help you understand how you can channel God's blessings to you to make them effective for a difference. Jude gives us two qualifications in his little letter. He says, some we need to save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garments spotted by the flesh. And then he says, on others, having compassion making a difference. So there's the scales. Fear and compassion. Fear and compassion. Each one of us in this room who are saved today will fall in either one of those two scales. Someone showed us compassion and we got saved and we came to Christ because of what someone did and said or something. Others were saved by fear, hating the hating the garment spotted by the flesh. I'm one of those. And I thank God for a man who stood up behind a pulpit one night and preached to a group of young people and told us the truth about God's word. I already heard the gospel many times. As a young man, I knew I had already done enough and thought enough and said enough that God could have judged me right then and there and he would have been just in having me pay for my sins for all eternity in, yes, a place called hell. And the lake of fire. He would have been right to do that. But as a young man burdened and convicted under my sin. I came forward to a God of mercy and a God of grace. Who did not want, who did not create that place for me. Who was, who had open arms and accepted me. And now I'm accepted in the beloved. Amen. And I came and trusted Christ. And I said, Lord, I don't know how you can do it. I don't understand how you're going to work it out, but you said in your word that if I would believe, you would save me, and I'm here, Lord, save me. And he did. I don't know how it happened, but the transaction took place, and my sins were put on Jesus, and his righteousness was put on me that instant. And I walked away out of there a saved man without any fear of God for my sins. I was saved by fear. Because I knew I was going to answer to an almighty God one day. Others are saved with compassion. Whichever route it takes. But I think we get the scales out of balance in many of our ministries today. And it can happen in our own church. We focus so much on compassion because we don't want to deal with the hard things. We've got to have the balance and discernment from the Holy Spirit to know I don't know if that preacher knew that night that that message was for me because I'd never been to his service before. It was my first time in his in his youth group. But the Holy Spirit knew. And as he followed the Lord 
in giving the word, I received life. We must have discernment to keep the balance. So are we doing the right thing, the right way, for the right reasons? So we can make a difference for others, for Christ's sake. He uses that term in this message. We suffer wrong. When we suffer persecution, we better make sure it's for His sake, not ours. Now, as I studied this, I noticed some parallels. There's hypocritical religion, if you call it, if you want to call it that. There's genuine religion, and they're both parallel. They're contrasted with each other. And so he gives an occasion. If you look at verse 2, verse 5, verse 6, verse 7, verse 16, you'll see he uses something along these lines. Whenever you, and he's talking to his disciples, when you do this, something to that effect, and then that will be contrasted with, but when you do this, so there's a right way and there's a wrong way. We can establish that, right? There's a right way and there's a wrong way. And Jesus is saying, do it the right way and you'll avoid the consequences of doing it the wrong way. And this is where people have problems with us Christians because we want to tell people there's a right and a wrong that everybody can't be right. And I'm not right many of the times either, but I know who's right all the time. And I hope you can agree with me on that one. I pray so. Notice then, after he gives the contrast, when you do this, but when you do this, there's a different consequence. Notice also that there's a, a prohibition of some kind of activity. He says, don't do this, verse number two. Don't do this. And then verse number uh, verse number three, you'll see it. It's commanded positively there. You want to have it done in secret instead, verses nine through 13. We'll also show you that alongside verse six. Verse 17, you'll see that contrast. Another contrast would be, thirdly, a pro prohibition for a motivation. To be seen by others, to be admired by others, the external. And that will be contrasted with an internal motivation. For instance, the external, the to be seen, admired, is in verse number 1, verse number 2, verse number 5, verse number 16. And then also, the contrast, the inward motivation, is uh, to be only seen by the Father. That's in verse 4. That's in verse 6. Verse number 18. So you'll see these contrasts throughout the passage. One more. There's a solemn affirmation. In verse number 2, in verse number 5, in verse number 16, three times, Jesus reiterates the point. For those who do it the wrong way, for those who are focused on the external and don't make it to the internal that God sees, he says these words, they have their reward. Three times, three times. We'll talk about that, Lord willing, if we have time. Contrast that with a solemn affirmation on the other hand. If you do it the right way, he promises basically in essence this. Your father, the one who is in heaven. Yes, him. Your father is the one who will reward you. A future hope versus a present payment, and that's where it ends. All right, notice first off here, just looking at the passage, Jesus says, beware, lest you lose the Father's reward to gain the applause of people. And I'm just going right to the text because that's what we need, isn't it? This is what does surgery on us. It's what did surgery on me. 
Notice, first off, he points out the imminent danger of doing alms to be recognized. Verse number one, I read it again. Take heed that ye, plural, do not your alms, plural, before men to be seen of them. Otherwise, ye, plural, have no reward of your Father, which is in heaven. So he's talking to the group and he says, be careful. There is an imminent danger. Take heed. That's a word of caution. That's a word to be wary over. Now, I want to deal with the word alms because when's the last time you used that in a casual conversation? Alms. What are alms? I think we know what it is. If you ever watched you know, Disney cartoons growing up, if you ever seen Robin Hood, you know, alms, alms, alms for the poor, alms for the poor. Is that where that was from? I don't remember. I thank my grandparents for that. You know, putting me in front of the TV and watching that stuff. Anyway. Alms. What are these alms? Well, depending on which translation you have, your translation may read there when you do your righteousness before men or something along those lines. Uh, that comes from a, a distinction between two words that are disputed in the text. And I'm a received text guy. I study and preach from the King James and the translation that it comes out of. And so I'm not going to lean on the word righteousness. I'm going to leave it the way the translators have put it here and say it's better understood as alms. What are alms? Well, I'm glad you asked. I'll help you. Because I had help, all right? The Greek word, actually, that is translated from it, and I hesitate to use the Greek word, but we need to understand where it comes from. This is just a window to see what's there, right? So don't get lost in the Greek here with me. I just want you to see the root word comes from uh, something that has to do with mercy, so you'll see that idea connected with this compound word that's used at least four times through these four verses. You'll see it over and over and over. Every time you see the word alms, it's the same word in the received text, that is. The one difference is with the other text that has righteousness in place of alms in this first verse. So I understand why they're doing that and the arguments they make for it, but I, like I said, I'm going to leave the text the way it reads in the King James here. It's connected with merciful. It signifies mercy, pity. And Vines pointed out this was particularly in giving alms. Now, I also want to give you another resource, and that is Webster's Dictionary, the American Dictionary of uh, the English Language. This was written by Noah Webster. And the reason why I would recommend to go to that dictionary is because the older of an English dictionary you can get your hands on will put you closer to when this language was written, and you want to define, define these words, and that will help you. If you can go back to his 1829, uh, that's great. Uh, that's probably about as far back as we're going to be able to get to be able to get the definitions here. Now, dictionaries evolve over time, don't they? Because language is constantly changing and evolving. So if we can go back, we can understand. Now, listen to Webster. It took him, I don't know how many decades of his life to compile his dictionary when there were no computers, somebody can say amen to that. The man was a genius. Okay, Webster, listen to what he said and his definition for alms. He gives the etymology, Old English, and then he goes to the French, compares those with Switzerland and the Danish language and German, and, and he puts them all together, and then he even references the Greek. So he's done his etymology on this word. The first syllables appear to be from elieo to pity. That's the word I told you about, okay? Listen, he says, 
anything given gratuitously to relieve the poor as money, food, clothing, otherwise called charity. Now, we have the English word charity in our text, in our Bible. So why did they not use charity here? Because most of the times, nine times out of ten when I see charity translated, it's translating the word agape. And it's translating a love in action. So here, they did not use charity when they translated it. They used the word alms. It was a common word in their day. Anyone reading it wouldn't have to look to Webster to look it up. They would know what alms are. So we're talking about anything given gratuitously, not expecting anything in return, to relieve the poor, money, food, clothing, otherwise. So thank you, Webster. That helps us understand what an alm is, to give alms. As I studied for this passage, message after message after message that I have seen that others have given on this, and nothing against that, okay, we need those messages, but it seemed like they were all channeling, they were all funneling towards money. And this would be a great passage for a pastor like me to stand up and preach a whole message on why you need to give money to the church. But I'm thankful for Noah Webster because he helps me understand it's not just the money. I remember there was a time as a young family, we didn't have anything. And we were you know, faithful in our church. And to this day, to this day, I don't know if it was some, someone from the church. I don't know if it was someone who just saw me and felt sorry for me. Uh, saw my family and wondered why we were doing so poorly. I don't know. I have no idea to this day who it was. But I remember my wife and I and the discussions we were having. Two toddlers, I mean, just, just infants in our home wondering, how are we going to do this? I'm living on a stipend. And most of my money's going to pay for the roof over our heads. And she's working a job and, and trying to pay for babysitting and child care and then do all of that while I'm in school trying to train and learn how to do ministry eventually someday. And we were at our end. And I, I remember in my living room that night, we had been praying. And I remember going to the door. It rang. And somebody knocked on it. And I, they were gone before I could get there. But we opened the door, and there it was, just clothing and groceries for our kids, okay? This wasn't for me. They weren't doing it for me. But I can't tell you what that did to help us and encourage us that don't give up. They didn't leave money on our doorstep. They left kindness. And I don't know who it was. They had their reward, and God, I have prayed over and over since then. God, reward them. Give it back to them. And then there have been times now that the Lord has brought me along that I've been able to do similar things. And no, if you're thinking of that thing that showed up on your doorstep, it probably wasn't me. So don't <laughs> to clarify that. It was probably someone else. Now we'll stay true to this passage. Amen. But I'll tell you, that Bible verse is true. And Jesus said it. It's not recorded in the Gospels, but the Apostle Paul tells us that Jesus said in Acts 20, 35, after he gives some words, he says, it is more blessed to give than to receive. 
So, friend, don't lock this into money only. You can make a world of difference to somebody. Maybe you don't have a lot of money like us. Maybe you don't have that. But you have something. You have something that God has blessed you with that you can share with others to be an encouragement, to be a blessing, to be a help to them. And you can do it with gratuity because you're so thankful for what God has done for you. You just give. And your right hand doesn't even know what your left hand's doing. The Father sees in secret. And one day, I think we're going to be floored when Jesus shows up and says, Hey, that cup of water in my name. A cup of water. H2O. Not ching ching. H2O. Of course, oh, well, you know, today H2O is ching ching, right? Because they bottle it themselves. Okay. <laughs> Notice after he gives this imminent danger of doing alms to be recognized, be careful. Don't do it to be seen. Otherwise, you have no reward of your Father in heaven. He gives them some illustrations in his day and time of those that did alms for recognition. Look at verse number two. Therefore, when thou doest thine alms, do you see the channel to singular? So he's gone from the group be careful about this, my followers. Be careful. Now, let me talk to each one of you individually because you're the one that's going to carry this out. So individually, when you do your alms yourself, don't sound a trumpet before you. Do not sound a trumpet before thee as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets. A hypocrite in this day and time would have been an actor in a Greek play. And so they're usually men. They dress up and they're pretending to be someone they're not. They're acting. Right? That's the, the, the word hypocrite. And so he says, don't be like them in the synagogues and the streets. Now, I wasn't there. I've never been to a synagogue in Jesus' day. I've seen the remains and the ruins of some of them. But I've never been in one of their synagogue services, so I don't know. I can't speak from experience. And, uh, and I have no idea whether they sounded trumpets when they gave or not. Ah, that's what I forgot today. Oh, I forgot my shofar. I was supposed to bring my shofar for you from Jerusalem. It's got Jerusalem on. And so that would be a trumpet, you know. And there's all kinds of ideas out there I read about. You know, maybe they sound the trumpet. Hey, you know, come over here. This is where you can get the help. And, and they're sounding so people can find them to come get their alms. Well, everybody sees them doing that. And Jesus says they have their reward. Can I tell you how I take it? I take it more of as a metaphor. What he's saying is don't go around tooting your own horn. He says they have their reward. Now, the word that's translated here, reward, in this verse is a different word from verse 4, talking about the Father's reward. That has the word give in it. The Father's going to reward you a gift. It's going to be a, a gift from Him. Here, this has the idea, this reward that Jesus says in, in this verse, they have their reward at the end of verse number 2. This is a word that has payment tied to it. This is a word that if you look it up, you'll find it comes from wages and earnings. And so Jesus is saying they have their paycheck here. But if you will follow what he's saying and do it in secret, and God's the one that sees, you'll have a gift. You'll have his reward. Now, I don't know about you, but it's pretty easy for me to decide which one I want. But can I get there? That's the hard part. That's the hard part, right? We have a huge issue today. 
with this idea of what Christians are supposed to do with their alms. Let's be a church that's a giving church, not just monetarily. Now, granted, we need you know all the monies that come in, and I'm so thankful for the givers that we have in our church. Uh, we have so many people that give out of their out of their want. They give out of their lack because they first given themselves to God. That is the only explanation as to why I can tell you Burnsville Baptist Church is still here after almost nine years, because they have followed God and they've given and they've supported the work of the ministry, and we're we're just trying to do the best we can with what God's blessed us with. And God takes a dollar here, he takes $10 here, he takes $20 there, and he multiplies that, and it just grows. And I cannot explain to you why we still have money in the bank. We should have closed down and shut our doors. If we were running a business, we should have shut our doors years ago. We should have closed up, boarded up, and gone on to try to make money somewhere else. But God's been good to us, and we're going to continue doing what God's called us to do here as long as he'll give us grace and blessing And so let's not get wrapped up in the money. Let's think about how we as a church can go out of these walls and make a difference to others as followers of Christ. Where are we falling short? Are we giving sacrificially, giving ourselves first to God and then giving to help the needs of others, especially those who give themselves to labor in the word? Let me apply it this way. I believe Jesus is teaching us in these four verses that we will miss the mark Anytime we give alms self-righteously like the Pharisees. And he contrasts that. There's woes coming to them for their self-righteousness. They do it to be seen of men. You and I can picture people, can't we, that have given to works or different things. And they've given charitable donations. And really, by the time it works out, it's so they can have their name blasted on the radio or the newspaper headlines or something somewhere they can have the key to the city, or whatever it is that's motivating them to do this charitable act. Hey, we're in politician season, aren't we? Get ready for the charity appeals. Okay. Why? Why are we doing it? Are we doing it to be seen as men? Yeah, they have their reward here. If they get elected, then it's going to pay off. Great. If they don't, then they still have their reward because it's all going to be right here and it's not going to go any further. Don't miss the mark. By giving alms to be seen. That's not the point. You'll miss the mark when you do right to be seen. Let me give you a Bible illustration, okay? Acts chapter number 5. Anybody there in your mind yet? Who am I talking about? Acts chapter number 5. Okay? This is a great passage to illustrate this because not only do we have the wrong way... We also have the right way, right in the same narrative. How the early church began and was empowered by the Holy Spirit to change the world. In chapter number four, I'll go ahead and give you one of my other application points. You'll do it right when you do it like Joseph, a.k.a. Barnabas. We know him as the son of consolation. He had property in Crete or Cyprus was it Crete. I think it was Crete. Look it up. He had property. A bunch of it. And he saw what the saints were going through in Jerusalem. God's people were in a hard time. And he was moved by God to sell that land that he had and then come and lay that down. Back to the idea of the local church here at the apostles' feet. And then they, under the direction of the Holy Spirit, distributed to everyone that had need. That's not communism. Thank you. 
That's not socialism. That is a man being moved by the Spirit of God to do an all, to give. And he turned that land into money and laid it down and the apostles were able to feed him. Well, that's chapter number four. And they had all things common and that met a desperate need. A de- Don't think they, they were doing you know great after that because I'm sure what Joseph had went very quickly as they distributed it, but people lived and they didn't die. They still had to suffer persecution. Now, you fast forward to chapter number five and you find not only is there the right way to do it, Hmm, I wonder why we don't know who it was, really. We don't know Barnabas' name until later on. And he's the only person, by the way, that you'll ever find in the Scriptures that the Bible says he was a good man, right? Jesus told the rich young ruler, there's none good. Why callest thou me good? There is none good. Well, there's one that the Bible says was a good man. Barnabas, Joseph, who, by the way, we wouldn't have the Apostle Paul if it weren't for Barnabas was a man full of the Holy Ghost, and he did what he did not to be seen, not to be recognized. He didn't want any praise for it. He didn't need any recognition. He just gave. And people were saved. Now, fast forward to chapter number five. Hey, look what Joseph did. He had some land and he sold it. And then he came and gave that to the church. And and then, ooh, look how spiritual he is. We can look that way too. Hey, Sapphira, let's work out a deal. You're in on this with me, right? All right, we've got some land, too. We can do the same thing. We can sell. But you know what? We don't have to tell this part of it. We'll just keep back a portion for ourselves. It'll just be you and me. You know, we'll have a little retirement home out in the country somewhere. It's my imagination, okay. But you get where I'm going with this. They made that pact. They got their story straight. And then they did their deal. They sold the land. They came and they laid it down at the apostles' feet, just like Joseph's. Same way. They laid that down. And then Peter says, why are you lying to God? Now, <laughs> I don't have the same gifts that Peter did, by the way. He was an apostle. And the Holy Spirit had revealed to him right then and there that Ananias had just lied to the Holy Ghost. Because they made that deal. Now, it was all theirs, right? Couldn't they have come to the apostles and said, we're going to give this much and then we're going to keep a little bit back ourselves? It came with a deception. There will always be deception connected somewhere when you're falling short. Now, I'm not going to say that God's going to strike you dead when you do it wrong. Okay, That's what he did to them as an example for the early church. Joseph is the example on how to do it right. Ananias and Sapphira is the example on how to do it wrong. Ananias and Sapphira had their reward. They had their paycheck. They had what they got, and that's where it ended. And we're still talking about them today. Joseph, on the other hand, how many untold souls has his life impacted? Not because he wanted recognition, just because he did it the right way. You will miss the mark when you try to do right, doing the right thing, but you're doing it to be seen, like Ananias and Sapphira. You'll miss the mark when you take your focus off of who the real judge is. There was a day and time when the Apostle Paul stood before a man named Felix in the same book, the book of Acts, chapter number 27. He stood before Felix and 
in his in his defense that he was making there, he says, I've come to Jerusalem basically to, to bring my alms for the brethren because Felix would understand that language. So what Paul was doing was explaining, this is why I'm here. This is why I'm doing what I'm doing. I'm not expecting anything in return. I'm doing what I'm doing for God. Let's not forget who the real judge is. Paul could say this by the end of his life. I have fought a good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. And henceforth, Paul said, there's a crown of righteousness laid up for me. And not to me only. He goes on to say to all them also that love his appearing. Paul was looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of his faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. And now Christ is set down on the right hand of the Father on high, our high priest. He did it all for us. And so put Jesus as that mark that you're aiming for. So, we close here. I'm going to wind this down very quickly. I challenge you today to make sure you're doing the right thing, the right way. But most importantly, most importantly, do it for the right reason. Do it for the right reason. Because there's a reward of doing right the wrong way for the wrong reasons. And however you want to fit that together. When thou doest alms, let not thy left hand know what thy right hand doeth. Alfred Plummer in his commentary said it like this. He says, they receive their pay then and there. They receive it in full. God owes them nothing. They were not giving, but they were buying. They wanted praise of men. They paid for it and they have got it. The transaction is ended and they can claim nothing more. That's the reward of doing right the wrong way or for the wrong reasons. The reward of doing right the right way for the right reasons. Two more Bible illustrations for you to take home with you. I'm going to save what I think would be the, the most important last. I want to tell you about another man in the book of Acts, chapter number 10. This man was a religious man. He was a very devout man. He was a Roman. So he was not Jewish. But this man had a burden for God's people. And he also had power and authority within the community. And he had means. And this man, so moved, had a reputation in the community that he loved God. Although he didn't know who the Messiah was at this point, he loved God. And this man was desperate for God. And he loved God's people so much, he decided one day he'd just build them a synagogue. The man's name was Cornelius. Now, this man was seeking after God, but he'd not found Christ yet. Now, look what he did. He was a giving man. He just gave. He didn't do it for recognition. He didn't need his name on the city gate or anything like that. He just wanted to be a blessing to God's people. Well, guess who showed up one day? If you seek light, God will send you more light. That's exactly what happened to Cornelius. He was reaching upward. There has to be more. And then... God moves, the Holy Spirit moves on Peter. And he says, Peter, you're going to make a little trip down here to, uh, to Caesarea. I've got a man down there you need, I need you to talk to. And in Acts chapter number 10, Peter makes the way. And Peter has to go through some growth too, doesn't he? You remember his visions in the night, those dreams he had about the sheets let down and all that. And Peter had some growing to do still. But God used him to take the gospel to this Gentile. And they which sat in darkness saw a great light. 
And that was the beginning of this conversion. Cornelius and his whole house finds Christ. Hey, I want to tell you, when you'll do it God's way, God shows up. He shows up every time without fail. Cornelius and his story encourages me. Even if I haven't got it all figured out yet, I know if I'll just start down this path, then eventually Christ and I will be together. Okay, now, Cornelius got the gospel from Peter. He, he preached to him the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Cornelius put his faith in Jesus Christ. His whole house got saved and baptized. So here's a man who was in darkness doing the right thing for the right way, the right way for the right reasons, and look who showed up. How many untold stories could be repeated along that line? Just do the right thing the right way for the right reasons. The last one here. And yes, I'm picking on Peter today. And I'll throw John in there this time. You're already ahead of me, aren't you? Let's back up in the book of Acts and chapter number three. The reason that I chose these particularly is because when you study them, you will find the word alms connected with each character. The word alms. It's woven through all of what I'm telling you today. In Acts chapter number 3, Peter and John in the temple, they come to the courtyard and there's a man. He's lame. He can't walk. And he's sitting by the gate beautiful. And Peter comes and he says some powerful words. He looks to this man and he says, Silver and gold. Sorry, but I can't help you there. Silver and gold have I none. But such as I have, give I thee. Why was that man at the gate beautiful? Alms. That's where people went for welfare in that day. It's a shame that we have to rely on the government for as much as we do. I'll just leave that right there and move on, okay? You can take that for what it is and what it's intended to be. The church needs to step up. Peter and John says, I don't have any silver, I don't have any gold, but such as I have, give I thee in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Rise and walk. And we sing in Sunday school, and he went walking and leaping and praising God. And then it caused a stir. Peter and John got thrown in jail for preaching in the temple and healing this man, and, and it broke loose. But this man said, I don't know what all's going on, but I do know these guys have something that nobody else has. They've got Jesus. And now he had him too. He went walking and leaping and praising God. Now, we can't go around waving a magic wand. I wish I could. I'd go into every hospital I could find and, and just take care of all the disease and everything that I could do. I don't, I'm not gifted with that. I don't have that gift from God. But what I do have, I give. So what are you gifted with from God? You have a spiritual gift as his follower. If you're saved, you have the Holy Spirit in you. He has gifted you. Use it. He didn't give it to you to be stingy, as I heard a preacher say last week. He gave it to you to share. Share God's gift. Because it might make the difference between life and death for someone. It might make the difference between heaven and hell for someone. Such as I have. Don't have a closed fist. It may not be money. It may be goods. It may be material things. It may be spiritual things. Whatever you have. Be careful. That you're doing the right thing. The right way. 
for the right reason.